1: I'm always ready for rap fire, baby. Let's go. Woo! do it. Let's do it. So which of these duos are you most confident in?
2: This is a complicated question. I don't know where <laughs> you came up with this. I had to read it like three times just to make right. sure I understood what was happening.
1: Right. So you've got the combination, Jordan Batello and Junior Tui Alamaka in for Isaiah Foskey. Now, Mitchell Evans and Holden Stays, the two tight ends for Michael Mayer or Andrew Kristofik and Billy Shrouth replacing the two guards, Jarrett Patterson and Josh Lugg. So which of those three duos are you most confident in?
2: So there's shakiness with all three of these duos, right? Mm -hmm. So like from a, from strictly an athletic standpoint, right? It's, it's Jordan Botello and Junior Tuyalamaka. Like, I feel like those two can make some crazy waves at Viper this year. Now, replacing Isaiah Foskey is not going to be easy. He was a high round two pick for the Saints. You know, he was a stat stuffer. I mean, he did all of those things, right? But I, I think those guys are going to take, pick up right where he left off. Replacing Michael Mayer, even in the aggregate with both of those guys, it's never going to happen. Like, I, I just don't see it. Like, Mitchell Evans is a good player. Holden Stays is a good player. They're not Michael Mayer. So,
1: and we're not including Eli Raritan because he's not healthy, right? And that's fair. So that's, I, I, that's why he's not in there.
2: You yeah. can put anybody you want in that duo, and it does not matter. They're not going to equal, and I don't want them to equal what Michael Mayer did because that means that you have a very one dimensional offense. I don't want that, right? So, I don't, I'm not as confident in those two, and that's okay, right? When it comes to the guards, this is the interesting one because I, Billy Shrouth's ceiling is very high. Mm -hmm. Andrew Kristofik's floor is really high, in my opinion. I don't think his ceiling's very high, but I I don't feel like he's going to make a bunch of mistakes. I think he's just going to be steady Eddie the whole way through. You could compare him to Josh Lugg, and I think that would be appropriate, right? I, I think that would be fairly appropriate in this particular conversation. In no reality... Am I going to say that a redshirt freshman Billy Shrouth is the same as a fifth year senior Jarrett Patterson? Like I can't True. I, I can't I can't go there. Now, maybe when Billy is a fifth year senior or fourth year senior or whatever, he surpasses Jarrett Patterson. But I I can't go there for this year. So I in this particular question, I'm more confident in the duo of Jordan and Junior.
1: I'm with you. I'm I'm right cuz like you know, just to pick up where you left off there in no world even in the aggregate is Mitchell Evans, Holden stays, if you want to throw Raritan in there if he's healthy, none of them are going to come close to the production that Michael Mayer right. had, you know, like all uh, all three, you know, all three or four, however many, none of them are going to add up to 67 catches and over 800 yards, no. I don't think.
2: And we don't want them to. Like they don't need no. to be a tight end like based offense.
1: Exactly. And I think, yeah, exactly. And that's with the quarterback that they have, we expect this to be a more downfield offense to begin with, right. right? Do I think that they can all do their jobs and be good tight ends? Yeah, but uh, I, I'm not confident that they're going to come close to that. And you make great points about, you know, like as good as Billy Shrouth is. are you really expecting him to be as good as a fifty year guy who you right. know just got drafted last year and And Christoph, I think he's going to be, Solid as well. But Josh Lug had been around for a little bit as well, you know, and had maybe a little bit of an underrated season. Just got signed, I saw, after the weekend by your Bears, by the way. So I agree. Right. Like, even, even when you've got the program's all-time sack leader who and you're replacing 11 sacks, I think that those two guys, Botello and Tui, Tui Ademaka, and then, you know, even throw Burnham in behind them as well. Like, I think that that group is, is really going to excel at that viper defensive end, and we were talking about the disruption up front. That's that's a big part of where it's going to come from. I think is is what's going on over there, yeah. you know. And especially especially when you've got some of those interior guys who you talked about, who have upped their level of play as well. That's going to do nothing but help those edge guys. It's it's going to help everybody. It helps out the entire defense. Yep. when you get get more from that nose and that three technique as well in the middle there so absolutely absolutely I, I they
2: they could be electric and yeah and and somebody mentioned you got to add you had Burnham in there I don't I could I can't remember if you mentioned him or not but you had him yeah, as, as the third one I, th- I thought you did I mean I, I think that that position could be dynamic you yeah. know I, I I it's gonna be you know you talk about sack numbers and tackles for loss I mean I think a lot of that's gonna come from that side for sure
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, I've got one comment from Marcus Freeman from after the Blue Gold game that we never really got to, and I've been kind of sitting on it because we've had so much other stuff going on with the transfer portal and and everything else obviously these last couple of weeks so here's marcus freeman on whether or not he would change the format of the blue gold game
3: you know as far as the format of the blue gold game you know there's still an element of of you know it's televised nationally you know every year you're going to do some things differently schematically and there's a part of that where you want to do keep that in house. You want to keep that in house and, and not just show everything you're going to do. I want to see success on both sides of the ball, um, but we we know that the jersey scrimmage is really for that. Jersey scrimmage is for game planning. Like that's that's put your best out on the field. Whereas the spring game is, I want to get everybody a chance to play. Um, not everybody gets a chance to play in Notre Dame Stadium or will ever get the opportunity um, to play in a meaningful game. And so it's a great opportunity to um, give the guys that you're counting on a chance to go out there and compete for a little bit, but also give the guys that, that might not ever step on that field in a meaningful game an opportunity to go out there and, and, and play in a, a real Notre Dame uniform in a, in a spring game. And so I wouldn't change. I like it. I like it. I like what it provides for your team. I like what it provides for recruiting and and what what it what it provides for your fans.
1: All right. So there you go, Vince. The format of the blue gold game. Are you good with it or is there something different you would want to see? I mean, I
2: I I agree with what he says. I think it's a great opportunity to get some walk-ons in and and and, you know, because it doesn't matter. Like it matters to them. Like I would love to strap it up during a blue gold game and go out and play. (laughs) 20 years ago, obviously. But I was going like, to
1: say, they, they sell those fantasy camp things for yeah. you know, people who would love to do that, right? I don't have
2: five grand to plop down on a week's worth of fantasy. But uh-huh. uh, but anyway, I, I do like it. I, I think it's fine. I don't need to see another practice. Now, I would love to be a fly on the wall to the Jersey scrimmage. Absolutely, I want to see that. But at the same time, I just, they're not going to, Give us in the blue gold game, the Jersey scrimmage that will never happen. And if anybody thinks it's going to happen, you know, they they just need to understand that's never going to happen. So what's the next best thing? Kind of a pseudo game where it's basically like we're in the parking lot picking teams and they go out and play.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's your culmination of spring, whether or not anyone really gets anything out of it is irrelevant is what he's saying, because everything that's going to be relevant happens a week before in that Jersey scrimmage. And like you said, I mean, that's what we would like to see like at the very least, you know, we're not going to talk about X's and O's and all that stuff. We're going to talk about player performances and and unit performances and, and stuff like that. You know, like that's what, you know, whether there's a camera there or not, which there's never going to be for that Jersey scrimmage, that's what we would like to see. So we have more to base, you know, our, our opinions on but what happens you get a vanilla blue gold game and everyone yep. bases their opinions on that anyway because right. that's what everyone wants to see but i i completely agree with all you know everything that he's saying it's like you're not going to change it because it's going to be on tv everyone's going to see it there's there's always going to be some certain strategy that's going to be left out so i just i mean the, the only the only thing that 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 you could do is make it ones versus ones, twos versus twos. So at least you have, you know, the same level of guys going up against each other. And then you make your substitutions later on. That's really the only potential change, but because of the fact of all, you know, all the other things, all the other factors that he talked about, he's not going to change it. I guess I don't blame him. Yeah.
2: I mean, in the one versus one, yes, you're going to get more competition and I, and I get all that, but that's pretty much what they've been doing all spring. It's fun to mix it up for the guys. Like they don't want to keep hitting the same guys that they've been hitting all spring. Like it's something different, and they got some buy-in. You know, picking the teams and like it's fun. Like it's that. You know, it's when you go and have a three-on-three basketball tournament at football practice. You know what I mean? It's like this is fun. So I I have no problem with it, and and uh, at the end of the day, it's the last practice. You got out of there without any injuries. Yep check for in you know for good it's all that
1: matters right right seriously fill in the blank it's blank that NBC's first Big Ten Saturday night primetime game is going to be Penn State versus West Virginia on September 2nd
2: I should have looked up what the other options were for uh the Big Ten night game or whatever that was going to be not a lot I'm guessing there's not a lot yeah exactly first weekend uh, That's what I figured. So this is probably the best that they're able to find for that particular uh, slot. Okay. I mean, it's not the rich rod, you know, West Virginia that, you know, is, is lighting up the scoreboard or anything like that. But there's a lot of people that want to see what this Penn state offense is going to be able to do. And I think that's why people are going to tune in to this game because people think Penn state's going to be really, really good. Preseason top 10 team. They think the offense is going to be solid. Like That's why people are going to tune in, myself included, to see if Penn State's the real deal. Now, you're not going to be able to tell necessarily because they're playing West Virginia, but let's see what they can do offensively.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is going to be – this is the official week one, September 2nd, because remember, Notre Dame is playing week zero this year in that game in Ireland. So this will be – the bookend, or you know, the back end of the NBC doubleheader that day, because you'll have Notre Dame and Tennessee yep. State on TV earlier Woo! that day. So you get Notre Dame, Tennessee State, and then you get Penn State, West Virginia, and remember, all the best games typically are still going to go to the big noon kickoff. Like this is about you know, even though though it's it's a uh, and uh, and and you know an, an interconference matchup, Penn State. West Virginia this is about the level I think of of what you're going to see in a lot of these NBC Saturday night games throughout the season so So does that mean it's not going to be on Peacock because I figured that was the game that was headed to Peacock which one is that the Tennessee State game well we don't know that we don't know that for sure I'm just saying I'm right yeah obviously I'm assuming that there will actually be an NBC doubleheader that day but I mean it would be Might smart. Be a big assumption. I don't know. It would be smart if
2: NBC did that though to lead into their first primetime type. You know what I mean? You would not think their, they would not their first primetime game, but their first Big Ten primetime game, right? That's, I
1: mean, yeah, exactly. You would think that they would yeah. want Notre Dame on, yes. even if it's a stinker of a game earlier in the right. afternoon, since this will be their first opportunity to put a double header. Right. You know, two college games on on the same day. How can you not they're gonna get a lot? Yeah.
2: How can you not parlay the eyeballs that you're going to get from the Notre Dame game to that night game? I mean, it'd be silly not to, but it's NBC, so it'll probably be on Peacock.
1: <laughs> Speaking of football, Paul Burmeister, who is the Notre Dame football radio play-by-play announcer, uh, he's worked for NBC Sports for several years now. He called the USFL game on NBC yesterday scale of one to 10 how big is the difference between burmeister and the current notre dame nbc play-by-play announcer jack collinsworth 7256 like it's not even close
2: it was look say what you want to about burmeister or whatever i think he does a really good job he was obviously in tv before he was in radio but i think he does a good i think he does a good job on the radio side as well, way better than the guy that was in the booth before him, uh, in the radio booth before him. Who was that, by the way? Who was the radio Don guy Crikey. before Bur- Thank you. John Crickley came after Tony Roberts. Terrible. Especially taking over for Tony Roberts. Mm-hmm. Crickley never knew the numbers, the name. Like, it was awful. Yeah. Burmeister is a professional. And he yes. sounds professional. He clearly does his homework. He, you know, references talking to the guys before the game. And this is a USFL game where nobody knows who anybody is. And, and he has backstories on guys. And he all, like he put a leash on whoever his color guy was and just brought him along. And he was setting them up. And he was doing all the things that a good play-by-play guy does. And it was, it was music
1: to my ears. Yeah, it I was. mean it, it was like it's like the difference between Vin Scully and like some single A announcer who's still trying to work his way up the ladder because that's exactly yep. you know, basically the experience not not quite you know maybe there's a little bit more disparity in experience there when you're talking about Vin Scully, but I was I was really impressed. Like I've heard Burmeister on the radio before, and sometimes when you see some of those highlights and stuff like that, they put out, you get some of his calls. You know super, you know, like, like, right. matched up with you know, with the video and stuff like that. And like, he sounds like a broadcast professional, like the kind that you would want representing a national brand on a national TV broadcast network. And that is like, if I was, and again, this is, I don't want it to seem like I'm like taking shots at Jack Collinsworth or whatever, but the guy is just inexperienced. <sighs> yes. You know, we talked about it before. It's, it's one thing if you want to talk about. You know, because of the connection that he's got, he's got two connections. He's, he's got one because he's a Notre Dame alum. He's got two yep. because he's the son of Chris Collinsworth. You know, it's it's one thing if you have those connections and you're good enough to do the job, then, then it's not a big deal. But he obviously is not good enough to do the job on the stage that he is doing it on. Paul Burmeister is. And I can't, for the love of me, figure out, like, why when you've got a guy who's already connected, you know, both to Notre Dame and to NBC, why he's not the guy in that series. Seriously.
2: And he's filled in a few different times, too. Like, it's been right there in front of him. Like, here it is. He can do it, you know? And I I was thinking about this the other day when you're like, hey, turn on the USFL game. And, you know, Jack Collinsworth, yes, he's got the name recognition. But I think people forget that his dad's a color guy. Jack's trying to be a play-by-play guy. Mm -hmm. Those are two completely different things. Like, I feel like Jack could be a pretty decent color guy. He's been around the game, probably understands the game. He could probably be a pretty decent color guy if you stuck him with a professional play-by-play guy, right? His dad's not a play-by-play guy. I, You know, it's just, I don't know, it it just bothers me that he gets to sit in the bird dog seat of of play-by-play for NBC just because his dad's a, a pretty decent color
1: guy, which is completely different. Well, and again, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't overlook the Notre Dame connection either. Well, that's why. true. I, I don't think it's just because of his dad. I think, I think that that Notre Dame connection, Notre Dame likes, they like having, yeah, they their do. alums in those seats. There's different ways you can do it, though. In my opinion. And a Notre and Dame alum still... calling the blue gold game on peak. Right, and and you know like. You're going to see got, more of that. You've got a Notre Dame alum because calling. This, it's because of this program that they've got now. You know, the podcast I would, program over there. I would very simply just flip the
2: two teams from radio and TV. Just flip them. Just flip them. Now, the radio broadcast would be terrible, and I get that, but just flip them. You, you know, you've got your Notre Dame guy as the color guy. You've got Burmeister, who's a professional, doing, doing play-by-play. Yeah. Just flip them.
1: Uh, I, I wouldn't even flip them. I, I think that they would probably put Simeone in the in the radio seat if, if Burmeister probably, got the TV. Yeah, you're so, probably right about that. Yeah. yeah. But the balance would still be an upgrade in that Oh, case. yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bernie says that mm. uh, Jack has the opportunity of a lifetime as he'll get to call an undefeated Irish season and Heisman winner. Okay, <laughs> Bernie is the most optimistic person I've ever met. I know.
2: Like, I mean, man, see, I agree with this right here. Decaf eighteen, Sean Styers for radio.
1: <laughs> Sign him up. Well, I don't think that's going to happen either because it's probably know, not. But that doesn't matter from the right place. Yeah, so. well, you know. No, I really think that that matters with this since they've you know started up this broadcast program here in recent years I, I think that that matters a lot and i think that it does that, that plays into a lot of this stuff as well we'll
2: just we'll just send in a couple of our high school games and uh they can <laughs> there you go like hey this is a lot better than what you got
1: there there are a couple NFL guys who you know this has been a while but you know not that long ago like you know within the span of, of my broadcasting career but there have been a couple NFL guys who basically had you know b- because of connections like high school play-by-play was the extent of their experience. They ended up calling NFL games on the radio. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. Fill in the blank. It's blank that the Chicago Bears are moving forward with breaking ground on what'll be a $5 billion project to build their new dome stadium in the Arlington Park suburbs. It's
2: about time. It's about time. I, I am normally a guy who is all about the history and the tradition and all of those things. And, and I realize that Soldier Field is one of those things. But the history and tradition went out the window when they did the renovation, in my opinion, because it was just mm-hmm. such a poor job on the renovation and the way they did it and the way that it looks and all of those different things. I was very disappointed in the renovation. And I will also say, from a selfish standpoint, you know, you've got I, I'm a Bears fan, I'm a Cubs fan, you know, I love everything about Wrigley Field. But it's old, right? I mean, and they've they've put up the jumbotrons and they've done all of those things, and that's awesome. And they've they've, but it's an old stadium, and that's part of the appeal, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Some of these nice stadiums, like the one in Vegas, the one in L.A., uh, you want to talk baseball? You can talk about Milwaukee. You know, all of these really nice stadiums. Chicago deserves a nice stadium. They, they just the cells a dump, you know. Wrigley Field yep. is older. But it has the charm. They ruined Soldier Field, and it's old. That's a double yeah. whammy. Like they deserve a state of the art field, and I'm
1: glad they're going to get one. And look, you know, Buffalo is finally going to get their dome. There are other like I'll I'd be shocked if like within 20 years if if 90 of the NFL stadiums aren't dome stadiums. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, because one in a colder weather city they've got a chance to host a they'll host a super bowl super at some bowl. point yes after they build this and they will yep. also be able to host final Fours. you know the, those will yep. both be huge revenue generators for you know it obviously won't be exclusively for the city of chicago but it, it'll be for the you know for the chicagoland area they'll be able to to host events that they're not able to host right now and like absolutely i saw these artist renderings of this thing and, and it's it's not just the stadium that's going to be 5 billion. It's like that's only like half of this. There's going to be like a whole I think they're calling it the Arlington Park's Village or something like that <laughs> out and around. There's going to be all kinds of stuff around it. It sounds like it's going to be really nice and it's, you know, like you said, look what Chicago has had in terms of facilities forever. Like the United Center is yeah. the newest thing that they've got, you know. And that was in the mid 90s. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That was in the mid 90s. So, I think so, it's a great but,
1: opportunity for him. I know a lot of people yeah. are, you know, kind of, you know, pushing and pulling again. You know, the city of Chicago obviously wants to keep it because of the tax revenue and all that different kind of stuff. But I think it's going to be really good for you know the the entire Chicago lane when it's all said and done. Absolutely,
2: I, I'm excited. Like I and you know Notre Dame is going to play a game in there, so we'll be able to go. We'll be able to no check it out. Either it'll just and take us a
1: little I, bit longer to get there.
2: That's okay. <laughs> You know, that's okay. got to go north to the suburbs. All right, fine. We'll do it. Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a recent growing trend in Major League Baseball of players celebrating their home runs. Did you see the Fernando Tatis Jr. celebration? I've seen weekend? a lot of the
2: celebrations this year, but yes, had I a, have seen that one.
1: Had a sombrero and he was dancing after homering off Clayton Kershaw and of course a lot of the old guard old school people say the antics are too much. So where do you stand on all this current celebration that's going on, especially like the stuff, you know, like I'm talking about with Tatis and the dancing and the sombrero and stuff like that.
2: So I am, I, you know, you and I are both baseball guys. I am a traditionalist to a degree as far as like, you know, you hit a home run, you know, don't show up, show up the pitcher, like get around the bases, do your thing. Once you're in the dugout, though, and that's where all this is taking place. Once you're in the dugout, man, you do you. Like I have no problem with guys celebrating with their teammates in the dugouts. I have no problem with that. I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. I I think it's cool. And, I mean, let's be honest. Baseball could use a shot of cool, right, a shot of excitement at times. Right. Games are going faster. There's more stolen bases. Like the rule changes have actually worked. I think overall, there's been some nitpicking here and there, but I think it's worked overall. Once you get in the dugout, man, have some fun. I've no problem with it.
1: And that's that's like you said, it's it's not like they're up out in front of the dugout doing right. all this stuff. They're doing it with their teammates. And you know, if a pitcher if, I realized that 30 years ago, Like, you didn't even have to do a dance for a pitcher to take exception. You know, like, there were pitchers, like, in the 80s, you know, and before, you know, 80s and, and, you know, back into the, you know, really old school, like, 70s, 60s, whatever, who, like, if he gave up a home run, he was going to drill the next pitcher, the next batter, the fastball, just because, you know, because he was ticked off, you know. Now, that doesn't happen anymore. Like Anthony said, you don't want the celebration. Don't give up the home run. And you want a younger crowd to get excited about baseball. You don't want it all to come down to that, like every decision that you make. But there's 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 just too much of these, you know, unwritten rules, old school, all this different stuff. Have some fun. You're playing a kid's game. You should be able yes. to have some fun yep. playing a kid's game. Again, as long as you're not throwing it in the opponent's face. You're doing it with your teammates, you're having fun with it, which is what most of these things are. I've got no problem with it at all. Yeah,
2: I mean, they're already in the dugout. They usually put on whatever the paraphernalia is once yeah. they're down in the dugout, and then they go across the dugout with their teammates. Okay. I awesome. That's you know, I I'd be all about like the team coming out and meeting the guy at home plate, like we always do at the high school level. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I, I have no problem with celebrating a home run as long as it's not like in your face as he's walk right. running around the bases, like pointing at the, the pitcher, you know, being a jerk. Like, but like the okay, the I think Jesse is the one that uh retweeted. We're talking about Twitter, right? Jesse, okay. I think, retweeted uh there was a uh, one of the baseball players, I can't even remember with a team or whatever, he stopped at third base and like made some sort of a gesture after he hit a home run like to the crowd and you know did like a salute or something like that and the next time he got up he got drilled yeah you get drilled for that and i have no problem with that you do the crime you do the time like i that's totally fine by me yeah if he does whatever in the dugout peace be with you yeah doing it you're in on dugout. the
1: bases that's where correct you got to kind of watch your stuff right you know? yeah exactly By the way, um, Cardinals coming back to Wrigley tonight. There's all this stuff going on with Wilson Contreras. Yeah, there is. And, uh, you know, they're talking about moving him to the outfield. Now, they're not going to move him to the outfield. But my question, how should fans greet Wilson Contreras when he comes to the plate for the first time tonight? I saw a tweet about this today. The guy said, PSA, Cubs fans at Wrigley tonight. When Wilson comes to the plate, do nothing. Act like he's a rookie you've never heard of. That's the true troll job. Pass it on. No.
2: First of all, I'm not, number one, I'm not trolling him. Okay. <laughs> he was a very important part of what the Cubs did with their success, go, winning the World Series in 2016 and being successful. It is not his fault that the Cubs would not sign him to a longer term deal. He went for the money with, and it happened to be St. Louis. Okay, fine. I get it. Did was I happy he went to St. Louis? No. If I'm in, if I'm at Wrigley Field and he comes up to the plate, I'm standing up and I'm giving him a standing ovation because do what the I, Dodgers did
1: to Cody Bellinger, give him the yes. standing o, and then hold the,
2: the on block the screen
1: and it's a strike, <laughs> right? <this time. laughs>
2: right. I mean, they they did a with Cody Bellinger. They did like a video, a little montage, like the whole. Like, that is what they should do for him. I'm sorry, he was a huge part of that of that Cubs team, a huge part and he deserves that recognition. He yeah, does.
1: This is like you know, obviously someone who's a fan and you know, I Look, these are professional athletes and like you said, Right. Look at look at the Cubs track record. They didn't re-sign anyone. Right. With the, with the exception of of Kyle Hendricks, you know, it's like that's the only guy that that got a new contract out of that whole right. core group. Of guys, everyone else is gone. Why should you take it out on the player? Because right. the team didn't want to re-sign him. It's it's modern professional sports. Like the guys have a right to go out and make a living and go to another team. He got the best offer from the Cardinals, obviously. So. And
2: I have no problem with that. Like Irish Shi Town says, Vince, cheer him until he gets a homer and then boo him and throw it back.
1: 100 percent
2: I would absolutely do that. And Father David Penny says, standing O as a thank you, and then cheer like crazy when he gets out. Yes, absolutely. What and it's only his first at bat. His first at bat, he gets the standing O, his second at bat, (laughs) boom! Like I have no problem with that.
1: That's right. That's
2: exactly because he's a cardinal now. But I'm gonna give him much
1: more complicated. Yeah, exactly. You can still appreciate him for what he did. You know, and it's like I remember when Jason Hayward, you know, signed with the Cubs after that year that he had. In St. Louis, there were a lot of Cardinals fans who were ticked off about that as well. It's like, well, you know, one, he wasn't in St. Louis that long. It's right. Rivals and all that stuff. I guess you've got sort of that faction who thinks that sure, you know, the players owe him something. And
2: whatever. it's not like but, it used to be. You know what I mean? When a guy was with the same team well, his that's whole the thing. Career, just, like,
1: like these rivalries, the, they, the, like the yeah. only time they really get heated, you know, like some of them are a little bit more typically like if the Cardinals and Cubs we're both as good as the Dodgers and Padres right now. It might be a little bit like, you know, sure. again, like going back to that Padres Dodgers, it's like, there's been such great atmosphere, especially when they play down in San Diego in those, just because of the proximity and everyone here, sure. Dodgers is like, you just, this Cubs Cardinals, you just haven't seen near that much excitement, either excitement right. or animosity really in recent years. Cause they haven't been good at the at same, same time. T- exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So yeah, I look, I hate the Cardinals, I and I hate the White Sox and I will boo them and I will cheer against them. And but it's it's like my hatred has kind of shifted from hating specific players to just hating the uniform and whoever's in it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Yadier Molina is gone. Like, you know, some of the guys that were there forever, they're gone. Like I I just hate the Cardinals.
1: You know? Good. Uh Decoff18 says, all those guys are washed up except Rizzo and Schwarber. And it's funny because going into the weekend, I was thinking, like, where's Chris Bryant? You know, because, like, he was obviously with the Giants, for, and it's like, where's – and then I flipped on because I got the MLB package, and he's with the Rockies playing. Yep. And literally, like, I turned on the game when he was at the plate, and he got – you know, he, like, dumped a single against the Mets in the game. It's like, oh, Chris Bryant playing for yeah. the Rockies. But you never hear about it because yep, of where he it is. plays
2: for the Rockies. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yep. I know. That's exactly it. And you know, yeah, goes up in Detroit, not playing terribly well. And you know, I mean, they've all kind of just went their own way and done their own thing. And he, and he's right. Schwarber and Rizzo are the guys that are kind of still carrying the mantle for that 2016 team. And those are the two guys, if I'm being honest, are the ones I wanted the Cubs to keep the most. Soothsayer. Yeah,
1: exactly. All right, well, that's going to do it for tonight. Had uh, fun as always. We appreciate it. Hit the like button and, of course, subscribe, rate, and review. Vince, I will uh, talk to you in a couple days. Yes, baby. Here we go. Wednesday. Can't wait. Talk to everybody else mañana on Ivy Nation Sports Talk.